This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today, joined by Dave Prentice and Gav Buckland, the Tudor Fat, over all the major talking points at Goodison Park, and of course, look ahead to the final warm-up game of the summer. The Blues, of course, going to Old Trafford on Saturday lunchtime to face Manchester United, 12.45 kick-off for that one and that is where we will start today's pod. Plenty to get through but that of course is the big talking point if you like Rafa Benitez's last chance to assess the players before the opening game of the season, Preno. Um, do you think he's made up his mind up, so made his mind up now um, already at this stage about what he'll play against Southampton or do you think things are, are up for grabs and, at Old Trafford tomorrow? Um, I, I would guess he has already um, on what we've seen from the two friendlies so far. And from what he's seen in training sessions, maybe a few little tweaks here and there. But don't be misled into believing that the team that starts uh, tomorrow and the team that starts against Southampton will be the team that you know ends the month, because uh, obviously there is still lots of um, transfer jiggery pokery uh, to use an odd phrase uh, to, to happen between now and then. Um, obviously, he still wants to bring in new players. Obviously, there are certain players he still wants to move on. And I'm guessing it's going to be one of those usual frantic last three or four days before the transfer deadline closes. Uh, that will all take place. So still lots to happen between now and then. Uh, but yeah, I reckon he'll already have a pretty firm idea of what he wants to do uh, on the opening day. And so I think we probably can read between the lines when we see you know the starting lineup tomorrow. I'm guessing he'll want to give an hour, maybe, to the team that he hopes will start against Southampton. Obviously, that's all dependent on fitness. You know, we, I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and Yerry Mina obviously came back late compared to the other players. So we don't know, you know what their levels are like, whether they're capable of starting the game right now. They probably should be, to be honest. Uh, and it'd be quite good to see, you know, sort of Calvert-Lewin with uh, Andros Townsend and Damari Gray uh, in the same lineup. And, you know, Rafa has said himself quite clearly that, you know, he intends to get crosses into the box. And, you know, as a, as a man of a certain vintage, it's great to hear that. You know, so I love wingers getting in, in, in wide positions and balls getting fired across the box for Everton number nines to get on the end of. That's proper footballer. So, yeah, I'm hoping that we'll see a little bit of that on Saturday at Old Trafford and some of that when the season starts. Gav, will you look at the team sheet at, when it drops at, what, quarter to 12 tomorrow and go, right, well, that's going to be the team pretty much that starts against Southampton? Or do you think there's, there's still some room for... For manoeuvre, if you like, There's still some room for manoeuvre. I just thought we'd going in, going into seventies nostalgia mode there, Prano, straight away. You know why? You know, um, so serious, man. But, Nothing wrong with uh, getting crosses into the yeah, box. That's yeah, no, absolutely. Lift, yeah. But I agree. Uh, I agree with Dave. I mean, I, I think it will be, but I still think fitness comes into it. Where players are at, so I still think there's a little bit of scope for you know movement between now and next week. Um, I don't know how training's gone as well. So and also what what form, formation you play against Man United might be different to what you play against Southampton. So yeah, uh, I, I would say so though, because with so many, I think I think that I mean what we played today. What how many pre-season friendlies do we normally play? Six or seven? Yeah, something like so, that. Yeah. So a relatively small number, isn't it, in comparison to previous seasons? Um, so. Perhaps that might lead Rafa to playing, you know, as as sort of close to full strength team tomorrow, purely on the basis there's no other no other opportunities for it. So it is a slightly different preseason, isn't it? Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I, I think maybe you know you'd be there or thereabouts tomorrow's uh, lineup. It's, it's uh, different. It's very similar to last season, isn't it? When we only had two preseason friendlies. Yeah, yeah. Because because I'm you know uh, a sad nerd and I've got these statistics at my fingertips. Uh, the team that actually played Everton's final preseason friendly uh, last season or second and final was Tyra in goal, Kenny Holgate, Gibson and Konku, Sigurdsson, Gordon, Bernard. Walcott and Cal- Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison, so nothing like the team that started at Tottenham. Obviously, that was a different manager yeah. entirely. So, uh, yeah, who knows? You know, Maybe we're reading between the lines a little bit too much, but I'm still guessing that we'll see something approaching the team that's likely to start against yeah. Southampton tomorrow because uh-huh. Rafa is such a you know formulaic manager who likes to you know sort of rehearse things. I mean, yeah, I'm with that on that. 
I'm ready. Yeah. I agree. I think. Look, it, it, it's a pre-season game. It's still a warm-up game. Ultimately, still fitness, but of course, caveated with the fact that it's the last warm-up game before the season starts. So we we still hope to see a semblance of, of pattern or formation or idea. But what are we expecting? I mean, Gav, I'll go to you first. What are you expecting to see across the 90 minutes? And if you don't see it, would you be worried? I mean, it's always a funny one, this last game before the season starts for me. Uh, what I want to say, organisation. I think, um, you know, fitness obviously comes into it or like lack of, you know, match fitness, but you want to see organisation that players know what they're doing, which is not necessarily the case with, uh, you know, the last sort of three or four months of Ancelotti, was it? So regardless of fitness and stuff like that, and how the pace of the game and stuff like that, you can you can look at the game at the end and think, well, we knew what we were doing there. There was a clear strategy to play in, play in the game. Um, and that's what I think. You know, that's, that's Benitez's methodical approach, isn't it? As, as Plano just alluded to. And that's what I'll be looking for uh, tomorrow. And indeed, that's what I'll be looking for for the start of the season. Uh, to be honest with you, Phil. Prano, have you, uh, have you seen any, what you would class as typical Rafa traits in the performances and the, and the shape so far? And, and do you think we might see more of that to tomorrow? Or, or, or has it not really emerged yet for you? Uh, no, I don't think it has, to be honest. And I'm not even quite sure what a typical Rafa trait is, other than absolute control freakery you know he loves to be absolutely controlling on everything his players do on the pitch you know to the extent where you, the fullback must move in a certain area when a winger does this and the center back must react in, in this fashion uh, so he does try and control absolutely every element of the game but you know as far as formation and, and systems go i think that's dictated by the players he has available at his disposal um, you know, the, the formations and the systems he used at Newcastle were clearly very different to the ones that he used, you know, at Chelsea and, you know, even then the ones that he used at Liverpool. Um, so it all depends on, you know, the kind of players he's got at his disposal. From what we've heard from him you know, in his, you know, sort of press conferences so far, clearly he knows he's got a player, uh, a centre forward that's absolutely, you know, sort of top class in the air, whose leap is something else and his, um, you know, so his heading ability is very, very good. So he wants to play to that strength, which is why he signed one direct winger in Townsend and why he's got another player in Damari Gray who's capable of doing that, even though he played him at a number 10 in one of the friendlies. So I think we'll certainly see that. Um, as regards, you know, sort of midfield setup and defensive setup, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, it's obviously changed quite a bit in the other two friendlies that we've seen so far. So, you know, so we'll have to wait and see to, you know, to, to a certain extent, which is what makes the start of the season, you know, so intriguing. You know, so you're always waiting to see something a little bit new uh, pre-season. And normally when you've had like a handful of pre-season games, you've got a little bit of an idea. But so far we've seen two matches you know, so in, uh, out in America and that's it. So, you know, there'll be still plenty of lessons that we can learn tomorrow. Lots of things. What do we say? Five things we have learned. So I think there'll be lots of things that we, we, we learned tomorrow. Well, hopefully, hopefully. anyway. So, uh, yeah. You know, as far as traits go, I think just you know, so good quality crosses into the box uh, for a centre forward that thrives on that kind of service. Other than that, you know, so we're just waiting to see. Gavin, I'm not asking this question to trip you up so that in seven days' time people go, "Oh, Gav Buckland said this," but I'm intrigued to what you think. Do you think Hammers will start at Old Trafford? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, all right, Phil. Thanks. Um... <laughs> Uh, the, my silence speaks volumes here, doesn't it? Really, um, it's just it's just a funny one for me because it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, 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 look. We understand that it's become pretty clear that that if the right offer comes in, Rafa is happy to let Hammers go. But also, as we as we've alluded to and Prenner's alluded to so far, we're not currently blessed with the full options, attacking options in the squads. Richarlison's still away. Um, you know, there's still work to be done in the window. We know that. Yeah. Hamez, if fit, is obviously still a very good player. We saw that in spells yeah. last season. Of course we did. And some, and I just wonder, will Rafa just, just completely, not sideline him, but make it clear and just like, you're not starting at Old Trafford and therefore dot, dot, dot. Or yeah. is, is, he, is he too pragmatic, Rafa? Is he too, actually, we need to get a result against Southampton. So, actually, there's a chance he might play. 
Yeah, well, yeah. Um, you might the chance that he might still be here for the whole season at the moment, or at least oh. for the next transfer yes. window, isn't it? Um, you wouldn't rule that out. Um, especially the state of flux within the transfer market. Can I sit on the bench here and say you be you be on the bench? I think yeah. I, I, I I suspect I, I suspect that because you know whether Rafa Benitez sees Hamas as part of his team anyway, regardless about whether he wants to stay in or not, and that Benitez has a style of play. It's the first thing. The second thing is if he does and if he does want to move on because obviously we've got like he's he's eating up a large portion of the wage bill. So with those factors, you you would say that actually it makes sense for him just to be on the bench, doesn't it? Really. You know, come on and affect the game, which maybe the, the if he's here next week, that might be the uh, the place as well. So I'm going to say bench, Phil. I'm going to sort of the neutral perspective because mm-hmm. I I genuinely think that's where he'll be. Yes. Uh, to be honest with you, um, and I think that makes sense. But it's an awkward one. I know we might talk about transfers later and stuff, but to, you know, we want to make sure this doesn't become a saga, doesn't it? Really, and unsettle the uh, you know the the team. Between now and well, the end of end of August. Well, what's your opinion, Gav, on, on the Hammer situation? Because it seems though a portion of supporters, you know, gauge a little bit of reaction, certainly yeah. on social media. Not overly enamoured with the fact that we might be willing to sell him or loan him out or whatever. I mean are we are we better off with Hammers or without Hammers and, and able to use some all part of his wages elsewhere. But what's your, what's your yeah, feeling? Yeah, uh, I think it's it's the latter bit for me, isn't it? I mean, it's the you know, nobody's disputing Hamas's quality when fit, and that's the key thing, isn't it? When fit and on, on pitch. Uh, I suspect if I was looking at it at the club, I'd be saying whatever his wages. You know, I've heard about like five different figures for how much he's on a week. You know, <laughs> so say 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 he's on six seven million a year, say something like that. Does that justify playing 25 games a season? And in some of those games, you're not even match fit yourself. And every time you come in, you unsettled the shape of the team, which happened last season. You know, notwithstanding that he is a quality player, uh, and I think there's 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 a there's a balance in that there. And I suspect that the, the scales are tipped towards well, actually, the money side of it is the most important thing for the club at the moment, as we well know. And therefore, the amount of games and the the instability of present things on the pitch doesn't justify what we're paying him a, a year. And also, it, it, he's got one year left, hasn't he, I think, is it? Um, yeah. So there you go. We, we'll, we'll be able to get some sort of fee, uh, whatever that is, maybe. And I think that that's that's what my feeling is. And you're not, you're not really selling them for football reasons, are you? You're selling them for financial reasons. And uh, I think that's my feeling. And the perfect yeah. would to keep him. But it's not a perfect world for, for us at the moment, is it, financially? And uh, I suspect that's what's the main card that's being played here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, Whether we it can is, use that money for a different thing. It's, it's very, very difficult, isn't it? I mean, do you play him to, A, put him in the shop window, you know, so and tell people he's fit and he's available? Or do you rest him because you're worried about the prospect of that calf injury, you know, sort of flaring up again and that, you know, meaning that suddenly he can't be sold. Um, and clearly, you know, as Gav just says, in an ideal world, Rafa probably would want to keep hold of him because you don't get players of his quality becoming available all that often. But he needs to move him on because he wants to bring in players that fit his model of what he's trying to do with his, uh, with his, you know, his team at the moment. And um, it's, it's, you know, it, it's difficult. It's sad, you know, so we just can't, you know, so, you know, do, you know, so what he would want to do normally. So, yeah, maybe leave him on the bench, maybe introduce him for 10 or 15 minutes. Although having said that, you know, he was introduced, you know, in the games that we played in America and were pretty much anonymous, to be honest. And, uh, you know, this was in a you know, game against the Colombian team where you'd imagine he would want to try and, uh, you know, sort of show a little bit of something. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's an awkward situation. But Rafa as he will always do, will underline his ruthlessness. You know, so if he wants him out of the place, he'll make it perfectly clear and he'll make life uncomfortable for him until he's moved on, which is sad because I'm one of those Evertonians that actually wants to see him play in a Royal Blue shirt and wants to see him play at Goodison Park with a full crowd roaring him on. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't look like we're probably likely to see that happening. 
I'm minded of the fact that uh, the, the old anecdote about um, Howard Kendall when he came in for Everton, as Everton manager was at the second time and inherited one of Colin Harvey's uh, midfield signings, Mike Milligan, who he clearly didn't fancy. And he told all the, uh, the, the press guys, oh no, we'll be moving him on. And somebody said, well, what if he doesn't want to move on? Don't worry, son. When he's playing for the A-team on a Friday night at Morecambe, he'll want to move on. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that will be throwing Hamish Rodriguez into the A-team at Morecambe on a Friday night, but he will also make it perfectly clear that I'm sorry, son. You know, so you haven't got a part in the system that I want to play here. Yeah, I, I need to move you on reluctantly. So, you know, we, we'll see steps taken to actually achieve that aim. Whether that involves leaving him out of the squad, maybe, you know, for the trip to Old Trafford, I don't know. But again, one of those things we'll have to wait and see, you know, so another thing that makes this final pre-season friendly so intriguing. Yeah, I, uh, I watched the 23s on Tuesday night, Preno at Chorley. I don't know if Hammers getting that team from good young players. I'm very, very disappointed. I, I'm otherwise engaged tomorrow. Otherwise, I'd be heading up to Southport where uh, Emerson's under 23s are playing. And I, I really fancied watching that one, but sadly I can't. So, yeah. We uh, we uh, should do uh, and, and we'll get Sam involved in that. And they watch a lot of twenty threes as well. Some good, good young yeah. players coming through. Yeah. Genuinely, so uh, impressive stuff on on Tuesday night. Um, before we move on, we'll just 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 another one on team news. Gav, would you start Gabam in tomorrow? Uh, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fifth playing. He's he's a he's a key cog of the. The team that's been missing, isn't it, for two years? We, we desperately lack a natural defensive midfielder. I know we've had several players filling in that role. You know, Alan Gomez, Tom Davis. But he's a natural in that role, isn't he? And uh, I think um, that he, he, he gets as much game time as possible at the moment. Especially the way Benitez plays. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, I think, um, yeah, absolutely. And then it's good for morale. Aside from the, the, the wider team aspect, Bill, it's good for his own personal morale, isn't it, surely? Mm, absolutely. Preno in agreement with Gav there, unequivocally, you know. 100%, yeah. yeah. He's been one of the, um, if should we say, unsung heroes of our too-much pre-season <laughs> tour so far. <laughs> um, because, you know, he's looked fit, and he's looked like a slightly different player to the player that you know we first saw in those uh, two matches before he got his, his original injury, uh, which was like very much like a holding midfielder protecting the back four. He's looked more box to box. He's looked uh, a little bit more up and down and energetic than the midfielder that you know. So we initially saw. So yeah, absolutely. You know, so give him as, as much game time as is necessary to get him you know so match fit. Because that's the, the difficult problem, really. You know, so we're going into a game against Southampton next weekend, uh, and none of those players will be fully match fit uh, because you can't achieve match fitness in the space of you know, so two or three preseason friendlies. So you need to go and get at least an hour, seventy minutes, you know, so under those players' belts, you know, so tomorrow as much as possible, and probably work them very hard for the first two or three days of next week before they actually then ease off in preparation for the game. Uh, so yeah, you know, to, to answer the question, one hundred percent, you know, so you, you should start the game and play as long as the sports scientists deem is necessary to get a good level of fitness in his legs. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, uh, let's move on to transfers. Obviously, Everton did uh, did some early business. Begovic, Andros Townsend, Damari Gray, as we've mentioned. Um, but Gav, quiet after, uh, ever since yeah. then. Um, three and a bit weeks of the window left. Are you uh, are you concerned at all, or, or are you, is this just sort of half the course that you expected the bulk of the business to move to the final stages of the window? Yeah, interesting. Um, I think, you know, we need to be seen in there just the general sort of quietness of the transfer market full stop. I know there's been one or two really big signings, but generally the traffic between clubs has been very limited, hasn't it? Far less than what you would normally expect. Um, 
my, uh, you know, I don't want it to bring into Zed's words like and acronyms like FFP and profits and sustainability rules and stuff, but, you know, I think it's pretty well acknowledged fact that that is seriously having an effect of what business we can do during this transfer window and maybe the next couple of transfer windows. I mean, obviously, we don't know the ins and outs of, like, the club accounts in terms of last year and... The Premier League rules are a bit woolly around down this at the moment. Um, but either way, given our losses over the previous couple of years and probably for this year just gone, you know, it's going to be difficult for us, isn't it, to, to sign anybody. Um, in fact, we should be, what, we're, what we're doing is what we should be doing is getting rid of people on high wages off the bill and not replacing them. So I think that's, got, that's affecting us as well. So then you lead, led down the line of, you know, we're not going to bring anybody in now, I would imagine, unless we can get rid of somebody for a, a reasonable size transfer fee or a couple of players, of which there's maybe two or three candidates there, isn't it? Moise, Moise Keane. I mean, Hamas might bring a little bit of cash, not sure, you know, and then I think there's been, obviously, rumours of other players in the first, in the first team squad we may be moving on. If we do that, we might be able to bring in a couple of people. But we are hamstrung over over the last four years of five years of extravagant spending on transfer fees and wages. And that's come home to roost, hasn't it, Phil? And that's seriously impinging on us, uh, you know, bringing in, you know, numbers of people during this, uh, during this winter. Speaking of losses, Barcelona, of course, confirming this morning that for last season, they estimate they have lost 487 million euros. Yeah. Hence their yeah. enthusiasm for the European Super League. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, but this is, this is, sorry, Phil, this is, this is part of the, you know, I don't think, you know, that there's lots of clubs like, not, not as bad as us, but it's obviously quite, quite apparent because of COVID and all that type of stuff that there's a tightening of belts around football, isn't it? Unless you're one of the mega rich clubs. And that makes it difficult to, for us to move players on. We were on high wages to other clubs because we were able to get a low wage. Um, and, you know, so it's not just us. starts having an impact at other clubs as well. And uh, it would be interesting to say once you tally up at the end of this window how much is actually being spent, mm. you know, outside Pronto. of the big mega transfers. Yeah, yeah. Preno, the club spent around sixty million in in transfer fees last summer. Um, brought a goalkeeper in on loan, of course, um, and, and and young Nielsen Kunku. Um, will Rafa be able to get the you know the next two or three players he wants in for for, for a similar similar level of spending? Do you think he can achieve his transfer aims on a similar budget if that's how it pans out? Uh, unfortunately, at the moment, it doesn't look likely, does it? Uh, I know in the past that we've been taken by surprise by uh, messages coming out of the club that, you know, so we're up to the limits as far as financial fair play goes. And then uh, the, the club only decides to put in a huge bid for Wilfried Zaha. <laughs> uh, so, you know, whether we'll see something similar this time, I doubt very much. I mean, the, the club appears to be quite sensibly, uh, you know, sort of tiptoeing along, you know, sort of the FFP line. And I know fans get absolutely frustrated, you know, when they see Manchester City spending 100 million quid uh, on a player. And, you know, that, that's a completely um, unique situation in Manchester City. They are currently in the middle of a court case regarding their financial fair play dealings. Uh, they have done things very, very differently uh, to other football clubs. That doesn't necessarily mean that Everton should also follow that model and say that, oh, well, if Man City are getting away with it, why shouldn't we? Uh, you know, you've got to run your club you know, according to the rules and regulations, which is what Everton are doing. Um, it's frustrating, I understand. And I know the manager himself is very, very frustrated. Uh, you know, so the, the fact that he can't spend, you know, so the money that he would like to. Um, new managers, when they come in, that's normally the, the first thing that they do. You know, so they get the opportunity to bring in two or three new players because that's what club owners love to do. Show faith in their manager by giving them the opportunity to bring in the players they want. And uh, Rafa has done that up to a point you know, so given the other very, very modest purchases he's been able to bring in, but we can rest assured that there would be different names um, and, you know, some maybe better known names uh, being targeted if he'd been allowed to. And he can't, but he's willing to go along with that. 
so yeah it's going to be difficult it's going to be a juggling act you know it's whether somebody will actually pay a significant sum of money for Moise Keane um, and it depends on how desperate clubs get. The PSG situation is weird because, you know, they are one of the teams that are quite closely linked with Lionel Messi now. And, um, you know, contact has apparently been made, you know, between Messi's representatives and Pochettino. So, you know, if, you know, so that suddenly does become a reality, I think the chances of Maurice Keane going to PSG are very, very limited then. Uh, so what happens then? You know, are there other clubs in Europe that want to sign him? Has Rafa then got to try and find room in his squad for a player that I think he would ideally like to move on to bring in other targets? Don't know. Still an awful lot to happen, you know, so between now and the end of the transfer window. Lots of uh, ill-fitting pieces to get into that jigsaw between uh, between now and August or whatever it is, 31st or September the 1st, whenever the transfer window closes. Gav, um, it's, it's, it's our belief that right-back is is considered the priority at the moment still <laughs> for the club. Yeah. Um, Lots of talk about Denzel Dumfries, the Dutch right back, of course, we saw at Euro 2020. But the fact that there's been a delay in that leads you to believe that there are some concerns or doubts creeping in. Is he a player that you think we should be pursuing or, or is there better elsewhere? Or Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had to see what he was like at the Euros. He was decent, wasn't he? Um not really sure, Phil, to be honest with you. I've been asked this question before and and you never think, oh, yeah, we should target X, Y and Z. Obviously, Max Ayrens is another one that we were linked with, wasn't it? Um, mm. I don't know. We just need a new right-back, don't we? A new, younger, more mobile presence at right-back. But that's going to cost you, isn't it, really? And, the, the, you know, I was looking at, you know, Seamus's injury record last year was um, patchy, wasn't it? Um John Joe Kenny's future has also been brought into doubt, hasn't it? So our options there are really limited unless you play Holgate there, which is not ideal. So I would think if we're going to have, you know, that that, that it's obvious that that's always been our priority, hasn't it? It should be uh, for the season. So but I'd like to bring somebody in. Whether it's Dumfries, not so sure, but definitely a younger, more mobile presence. But again, that goes back to what we said before. That will depend about movement elsewhere. Own it, you know. Um, players moving out. It's interesting to see that one of the uh, I know we may talk about Lukaku is one of the byproducts of Lukaku went is whether they into Milan would be interested in key. There is some some suggestion from Italy, isn't there? Yeah, although, yeah, although there tends to be quite a lot of suggestions from Italy. It's, it's, yeah. uh, they're not quiet, are they, on the old rumor mill? I, I do like, I do like the, the thoughts of the PSG boards comparing the talents of Moise Keane and Messi. You know, I think that'll be that'd be an interesting conversation, <laughs> wouldn't it? And their commercial value to the club. Now, and I know disrespect to Moise Keane, it's just like anybody against Messi, you know. Like, yeah. yeah, all right. But now I think I think it, it's all up in the air, Phil. I mean, and let's face it, everybody's turning around here and saying, "Well, if we sell Moise Keane, we'll get we'll get a couple of players. If we don't sell Moise Keane, well, will we get anybody?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very difficult. Well, speaking about selling players and, and, and trying to find replacements, Prano, obviously um, Aston Villa are suddenly flush with cash after selling Jack Grealish. And it made me think about when we were somewhat flush with cash after selling Lukaku in 2017 and how unfortunately we didn't use necessarily all of that money wisely. I mean, slightly off on a tangent, do you think Villa have and, and are, are going to spend that money wisely certainly they've 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 made signings already haven't they yeah i mean the simple answer is you, you never ever know do you you know until you see how those new signings bed in i mean uh tottenham with the money they got for gareth bale you know so again you know spent it less than wisely and uh, you know so certainly we did but aston villa on the surface those players that they've brought in look very very shrewd investments i mean danny ings looks like a great signing you know for the uh for the, the money that was like, you know, sort of forked out on him and given his record over the last couple of seasons. So, you know, until we actually see those players settle in and, you know, sort of how they play, you know, you, we can't tell. But yeah, personally, they do look like they've spent very, very wisely. And they look like a club that is probably, you know, sort of on the up, probably moving in the right direction, uh, which makes our situation trying to fight to get into those European qualification positions even more difficult again. 
Uh, it's very, very congested, um, you know, so Premier League table at the moment, you know, so in those positions between, you know, so five and ten, you know, so clubs, you know, wanting to get into that position. And we've got a lot of work to do, trying to you know, sort of move up there. But it, it can be done. You just don't know. Um, you know, we've only brought in, you know, so two players with very, very modest fees, but they can have big impacts. I mean, I know we've said it over and over again, but, you know, you look at the evidence of the summer of 2004, you know, so when we sold Wayne Rooney and we spent very, very, very modestly indeed on a, a young kid from Millwall that nobody dared of very much and a, a journeyman in Marcus Bent that had had more clubs than Jack Nicklaus, as the old phrase goes, and both were absolutely outstanding. And, you know, we ended up finishing fourth. So you just don't know. You, you, you can't tell, which is what makes this time of the season so exciting, you know, because, uh, you know, so everybody's got, you know, so reasonable levels of optimism. Uh, football's changed a lot, to be fair, even in, you know, so that time scale of, is it, what is it, 16 yeah. years now, uh, since that summer, and that there is a very established, you know, so top three and four now, which doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. And it's the you know, teams underneath that are jostling for position. But yeah, Villa Villa do worryingly look like they're going to be one of those teams that, you know, so are making upwardly mobile strides, joining, you know, Leicester City, if you like, you know, so in that little echelon below. So, uh, uh, I, I say it with a heavy heart that yes, they do look to have spent quite wisely this summer. Gav, how would you have felt if if we were if we were to have spent thirty million on twenty nine year old Danny Ings? Is that a good bit of business for Villa? Or it struck me as a lot of money, albeit he's played very well last couple yeah. of seasons. Absolutely, proven Premier League goal scorer. Uh, yeah, depend. I mean, they've got they've got the they've got striking options, haven't they, Villa? Um, yeah, he's, he's good. I'm glad he's not playing next Saturday, you know that. Well, um, yes, yeah, yeah, so that's be first thought. Let me first thought. Um, he's persecuted us, hasn't he, over the last five or six seasons? Um, for, for a number of clubs. Um, I remember thinking when he went to Southampton, he'd be a decent signing, you know. Um, but get two years out of him, two, three years out of him. He doesn't strike his. I know he's had, had one, one bad injury, hasn't he, at least. Um, Knows the Premier League, um, could could be a decent decent signing. Um, yeah, and, and with Plano, these things tend to work out not as you expect when you buy loads of players. I mean, I think the other one is Liverpool wasted Suarez money, didn't he, in 2014. So history is littered with clubs getting big money for a player and, and just wasting it completely. Um, yeah, Ings would have been decent signing a few years ago. I still think he's a decent signing now. Um, you know, he knows the Premier League, proven goal scorer. Yeah, if you get two or three years out of him, it'll be money money well spent, I would imagine. Um, we mentioned Lukaku there, Preno, and it seems, if you know, reports are to be believed, that he could be on his way back to the Premier League. Um, great to see him back in England, but also not great to see him back in England because he's a different... Well, different, but he's... Uh, Hugely improved player to the one that you know scored all the goals for us uh, over a four-year period. Huge, hugely improved player on a player who is still our highest Premier League goal scorer. Um, I, I loved your piece this morning with all the various um, you know sort people commenting on you know the the real Romelu Lukaku if you like Stephen Naismith saying about what he was like you know so as a teammate. Um, Dennis Lawrence, the old coach, talking about what he was like, you know, sort of work with, and you know, so other stuff about the way Duncan Ferguson had done with him, and it basically reinforced what we already knew that you know he was an immensely talented, you know, sort of young striker with a lot of rough edges, um, and could be a little bit selfish on occasions as well on the pitch in a good way, and uh, but was also a very warm-hearted individual that the players loved and the players got on well with. And we know that he was always using Everton as a, as a stepping stone. He always was ambitious enough to believe that he could play at the absolute top levels of, uh, of European football, which is why when he does return to Goodison Park, if he does sign for Chelsea, he probably won't get a particularly warm reception, which disappoints me really, because, you know, I, I still think Chris Beasley, one of our uh, our other writers, you know, so asked us all to name our our best Premier League player, you know, so in the Premier League era, and a lot of comments, you know, a lot of Leighton Baines uh, references in there, as you'd understand. A lot of people went for Wayne Rooney, uh, but you know, for me, it had to be Romelu Lukaku. Uh, just you know, in, in terms of the the difference he made to the, to the side and the sheer weight of goals he scored, and I, I'm a huge fan of his, huge fan, you know. So 
Um, I actually sat in the stands and watched him as a supporter. And, you know, so felt like a little kid, to be honest, just watching this, you know, so, you know, Everton striker, this swashbuckling Everton striker, steaming down the inside, right and inside, left channels, you know, so knocking defenders over and bending shots in with, you know, with either foot and also scoring great headers as well. And then I watched him from the press box dispassionately. And, you know, so I understood why some people got wound up about his touch sometimes being a little bit errant. But, you know, you could overlook that because he had so many other qualities as well. And he worked on improving that. Or Duncan Ferguson worked with him on improving that. So, Really, really, really good player. Um, you know, so one of the best we've had in the Premier League era. And whilst it will be quite good to see him back in the Premier League, it'll be one of those sweet and sour things that you'd wish he had a, a royal blue jersey on with uh, the Everton you know, te- uh, club crest on its on its breast rather than a Chelsea badge. But it is what it is, and I hope he does get you know a reasonably you know sort of affectionate reaction. You know, when he does come back to Goodison Park, should he sign for Chelsea? Obviously, it's it's not happened yet. Gav, yeah. I mean. You know, it's, it's, it's something we've discussed probably many times over the pod ever since he left. But do you, you know, as time goes on, does he, does Lukaku look to you like a player that wasn't fully appreciated by by the, the you know, the majority of supporters, or is that unfair? Yeah, uh, possibly. I, I think I think he'll get a good reception. I think the uh, the movement to Lukaku's changed over the last twelve yeah. to eighteen months. That I think. As you say, Phil, I think people probably appreciate him more now than what they did at the time. I think possibly he was people underappreciated him. Is is why the skills and that he could put the ball in the net, uh, but tended to focus on the stuff that he couldn't do. Sometimes his work rate wasn't as it should be, and you know, as you say, like his fit, if it, you know, he never made a, a bad pass look good, did he? As <laughs> like best strikers do, um, he, he was able to do that. Uh, I think he was also um, possibly sim, and I, I, there's an analogy to somebody else I'd, I'd draw. Draw a symbol of a fading team. So when he came in in 2013, we come on the back of Moyes sixth, and then you know fifth under Martinez, and then three, three, four years later, you know uh, Martinez has gone. The team is struggling, you know, and um, he, I think he was maybe a symbol. You know, a symbol mm. of that. In the same way, kind of like Tony Cotty was, yeah. you know, in the, the late eighties, early nineties, it was a similar prolific goal scorer. Perhaps didn't work hard enough, was at a target on occasions uh, from supporters, and he was symbolising like a decline of a team. And um, I think Lukaku also suffered from that, um, that, that he was the focus of that, that fans' frustrations on occasions, like Cotty was. And uh, yeah, I, I think he's developed tremendously since he's gone to Italy. Uh, to be fair, I think at Man United, you listen to what their fans say; they didn't they say exactly the same as what we said. But it, it was strange. It, it, quite early in his career, he said he always wanted to play in Italy, didn't he? Which was quite unusual because normally the natural, the natural sort of flow would be like to say, you know, uh, Spain, mm. Bayern Munich, maybe PSG, Italian clubs. You know, not not particularly flush. Uh, not the depth and quality they've had over the years, but he was always keen, wasn't he, to play, play there? Um, and um, yeah, so yeah, he's, he, I think he get a good reception. I hope he does because he is easily one of our best uh, Premier League players. And his last season, he was tremendous, wasn't he? Was it 20, 25 goals? Yes, it, it was. Yeah, as, as Phil said in his piece, he was 24 years old. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. He scored 87 league goals. You know, imagine yeah. what he could have gone on to achieve if he'd have stayed, you know, a little bit longer. You know, the absolute legends of, of the club, you know, your Bob Lashford's, your Joe Royals, your Alexander Youngs, they were only in like just over the 100, you know, so league goals mark. You know, he could have absolutely obliterated that. But would have, could have, should have. He didn't. He wanted to do other yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, he might, might have used to playing for Big Sam, you know, but, um, <laughs> but, like, you know, uh, but I, I think, I think, I think quite rightly, Feelings towards him have, have softened over over the last couple of years, and, and quite rightly so. I thought he was tremendous for us on occasion. The only, the only thing I'd say is, on occasions, big games let us down. Mm. Wembley against Man United and his record against some of the bigger clubs was not how it should well, have well, been. You know what? I mean, he, he scored a few goals against Liverpool, which always you know, so stands him in good stead. Yeah. And I just had it in my head that he was an abysmal penalty taker. And I looked at his record. He only missed two. It just so happened that yeah. one of them was in an FA Cup semi-final and it wasn't a good penalty. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. that 
yeah, that tends to what's what sticks in your mind more than anything. But but that's fair enough, isn't it? I think supporters are quite 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 fairly concise. You know, big games and where you failed rather than the time you scored two or three against and a team in a five 0 win. And but I do think he's a he's a far different uh, specimen, physical specimen, isn't he? To when he was at Everton, um, yeah. I think he beefed up quite a bit after he left us. But now he's slimmed down again. That sounds a bit mad. Because he, he, he looked like he had a weightlifter, didn't he, at one stage yeah. in his last years at Man United? But he slim, he slimmed down again. Yeah, tremendous, uh, tremendous player, and he's. Uh, I think he's one of them. He's got he's got quite a few years left in the tank, hasn't he? Mm. He's twenty eight. He's not. You know, interesting that 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 Everton is is where he spent the longest so far in his career. You know, on loan and then three seasons permanently, and he's not he's not. I don't think he stayed anywhere as long. I think you know he's he obviously, despite everything that went on, he obviously felt comfortable and 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 and, and everything. And oh, there's always those rumours every every summer. Yeah. To be honest, it was an absolutely inspired signing at the time. And, you know, he came in at a time when his career was developing. I mean, West Brom, he'd been largely a substitute. Uh, he hadn't started that many games. And I think Roberto Martinez managed to convince him that, you know, Mio Chavez would be good for him because he would play him from the start. He would give him game time to allow his game to develop. And he's obviously been always a very, very ambitious young man that wants to you know, sort of develop his football career. And he saw that as a means of you know, developing and becoming the player that you know that got him his 75 million quid move to Manchester United uh, because he was changing all the time. You know, so he was developing all the time and adding little elements to his game. So, yeah, absolutely fair play. I mean, as you say to the scouting department, you don't need to be that great to scout. You've seen the kind of potential he had. You know, so the, the hat-trick against Man United after coming off the bench at half-time, you know, there was clearly a, a great natural talent at work there already. Um, so you know, it wasn't maybe the most inspired piece of scouting, but you know, great business to you know to persuade him to come to Goodison and stump up the twenty-eight million quid, you know, which was a huge deal for Everson at the time. Uh, but you know, fair play because Everson did. Yeah. Phil, can I just add? Sorry, yeah. sorry, Phil. Just thought that thought it was a really good piece, by the way. Loads of Thank good, you. good insight there. Um, really interesting to see the roles of like Naismith and Ferguson and Dennis Lawrence spoke, wasn't it? Uh, but the one of the, the the one thing that surprised me is where I can't remember it was it Naismith said the leaders in the dressing room with this Dante Agioka and Leighton Baines, Danger. which is not, you wouldn't you wouldn't necessarily associate looking from the outside the way Baines is quite always plays quite introverted and stuff like that as as Baines being a leader mm. in the dressing room you always expect that he, he did did his own thing you know maybe it was more out of the Carlo quiet leadership. Mentality, yeah, perhaps. yeah, yeah. You know, so when he's come back to the club, you're thinking, wonder you can, based on that comment, you can, um, that must have been the general perception. You can see why that obviously beneath, like a rather sort of quiet exterior, uh, even on the pitch, uh, he's not shouting the ball on the pitch, is he? Is, is there's obviously a little bit of inner steel there that maybe is not immediately apparent. And that, I thought that was a fascinating uh, little, little byproduct of the uh, the piece. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. But Bainsey, by the way, it was it was at the twenty threes game on Tuesday at Chorley. Still looks in tremendous shape. Yeah. He, he looks like if you give him six weeks, he could still play. He's just phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he actually lives in this neck of the woods, and you see him pounding the streets at all hours regularly. So I'm sure he still does train, you know, so at Finch Farm, but he also does stuff above and beyond that. Just one of those players that you know, so loves keeping himself in condition. So yeah, Barry's in great nick still. Um, before we move on to talk about uh, a return of a full house at Goodison Preno, just on Lukaku, favourite Lukaku goal. Oh, 100% the goal against Chelsea. Absolutely one of the great Goodison goals. Uh, an FA Cup tie, a quarter final. Was it Mashiri's first game in charge as well? So there was like uh, you know, a, a little like yeah, extra frisson of excitement about the game. And it's just one of those great Goodison reactions. You talk about the noise that Goodison Park makes when goals go in. And you always talk about all three of the goals you know, against Bayern Munich. The goal against uh, Wimbledon or any of those goals against Wimbledon with only, uh, you know, sort of three quarters full Goodison. Duncan Ferguson's diving header against Manchester United and that goal against Chelsea. 
every single one of them nearly took the roof off the place. You could feel the main stand shaking. And uh, I just loved that moment. It was a great goal, a uh, great reaction, you know, and it meant it meant something as well. So that, that's my, my favourite by a long way. Gav, yours? Can I be totally self-centred and selfish about this? Yeah. Um, when we played Bournemouth in uh, was it February 2017, scored four. As you know, the Everton Heritage Society have a, have a page in the, the home programme where we talk about something relevant to that day's game. And Bournemouth in 1985 had scored the fastest ever goal at Goodison. Colin Clark. Uh, 11 seconds. Uh, Colin Clark, 11 seconds. So I thought, well, that's, I'll start that. That's the, the piece. I'll talk about quick goals at Goodison, you know. And then I ended the piece by saying, so as you see in there, blah, blah, blah. So whatever happens, make sure you you know take your seat before the start of the game because you may miss a goal. And uh, Lukaku scored after 25 seconds, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, you know, and you know, it got I was, I was massaging my ego. I got mentioned a couple of press pieces as well, you know, in the national. Uh, and I thought, yeah, I'll have that, you know. Um, but no, that's you're really you're good, that's on point to get first goal. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no chance of that, you know. Uh, but uh, no, I think I'm with Plano. That Chelsea goal was extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, it really in was. the context of the game. And it scored two that night as well. Yeah. yeah lit up yeah. a very, very drab game, didn't it? And it was, uh, you know, it was just at that point when feeling was turning against Roberto when you're thinking the really dour performance against Chelsea, they're probably going to go and nick it. And then Rom goes and does that, doesn't he? Yeah, sorry, Phil. Was that was that Mercedes' first game? Was it? Yeah. Goodison, yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, indeed. Okay, well, we on the subject of Goodison, the club announcing last night that practically, Prano, for all intents and purposes, of course, with relevant COVID safety regulations and and face coverings, etc., um, it's going to be back to relatively like normal uh, a week tomorrow. It sounds like, yeah, very, very exciting. I mean, Gav's mentioned the Heritage Society there. They're not opening the church on a, on a match days to allow programmes to be sold because of you know COVID concerns. But that's one of the few uh, elements of the match day experience that is going to be different. It sounds like it's going to be pretty much as was. And that is so exciting. I mean, we've been deprived for so long the opportunity of going into Goodison Park and you know enjoying that moment. And... Um, I was watching actually uh, an old uh, documentary last night. I don't know, oh, it's a new documentary, but it's about old football. Uh, the three, the three kings. If you haven't seen it yet, I strongly recommend it. Uh, it's about Jock Steen, Bill Shankly, and Matt Busby, all born within thirty miles of each other, and you know basically how they, you know, sort of developed the football clubs. You know, that they became synonymous with. And but there's so many, so much footage of football from that era. And it's just absolutely insane seeing the number of people crammed onto terraces and, you know, so the, the riots are celebrating. And it, it was just, it, it brought back a real little bit of sense of excitement of what seeing football, you know, crowds inside grounds and inside stadia is all about. And we're going to see that again. I mean, Goodison is one of those throwback stadia that, okay, all the fans are seated now, so it's not going to be like it was in that documentary. But we still create an atmosphere like few other football grounds when the occasion demands, when it's something a little bit special. And uh, this is a little bit special. Um, the fact that we are back inside a football stadium again, I think we'll hopefully overlook the fact that, you know, we've got a former Liverpool manager making his bow as, uh, as Everton manager. That will become a little bit of a byproduct, I think, to the fact that we are actually witnessing, you know, those boys in blue, the Everton team that we support, you know, so rather than, you know, so a manager as such, being back inside the stadium again. And so it's going to be a real sense of occasion. It's going to be really exciting. You know, all those banners will be flying across the streets and again, it's just going to be something else. So, yeah, it's one to really say, but one to be very, very excited about. And I just hope everything is, you know, so as we're led to believe, as back to normal as it normally can be. So, yeah, it's going to be a great moment. And let's face it, we're counting down now as well. Uh, if things go according to plan, there are probably only going to be about, what, 60 odd occasions left where we're going to get to enjoy games in Goodison, you know, so anymore. So, savour every one of them, including this one. Uh, Gav, we do, we do feel rather fortunate. That's, that's, that's the feeling I get to, to on the opening day of the new season, not post pandemic, of course, but, but as the yeah. Premier League emerges from it. To be at home on the first day, I just feel that we're very fortunate to have been afforded that. And I just feel that, you know, as cliched as it might sound, that, that the power of Goodison is going to have an influence on what happens on the pitch. Yeah, yeah, I'm not thought of that really. You have to be teams that playing away, isn't it? Yeah. Um, 
Absolutely. I think um, I'm with Prano. I think he should play that to the players, Prano, that your little speech there. <laughs> a bit of motivation for uh, the next Saturday. But no, but seriously, it is. I mean, it, it, and with us, it, it's the... It's the it's also the, the the acknowledgement that, as Dave was saying, we've only got hopefully just three. Hopefully, this sounds like an oxymoron. Hopefully, only three seasons left at Goodison. Um, so save it every every single game. You won't see the like ever again. You know, I think Brandy Moore will have its own atmosphere. Yeah, and being at home, I, I the Benitez thing. You know, I think it, it's funny. I. I Bit like the mood music to Lukaku's changed. You also detect already that the mood music to, to Benitez has changed um, after the difficult first couple of weeks. Yes. Um, that people can see the qualities that he's been that he's brought, the differences in his way of working to to Ancelotti uh, as well. You know, so I think I think that that's changed, and and I think some of this goes back to what I said on the pod a while back. If Benitez was the the answer, what was the question? And the question was quite obviously going back to our transfer dealings, is that actually we're we're entering an age of austerity, spending wise for Everton. Who's the manager best placed to steady the ship and, and take us forward in some difficult conditions? And I think obviously identified that Benitez is that person, and I wouldn't I wouldn't argue against that with his track record. So. Um, you know, and so I think I think that the the the, the warmth towards Benitez will be, you know, a bit more than what people were expecting, and people get caught up in the moment, don't they? As well, we all, we all know that. So I think I, I, I really hope he gets a warm reception next uh, Saturday, and uh, that we then go on to, of course, you know, do. But I'll tell you, here's one for you. I was going to mention next week. So the only time we played Southampton on the opening day in the Premier League is the only time we scored the first Premier League goal of the season. Of any club, uh, I, was I, was there, I, was, I was there at the Dell in yeah. 1993 yeah. or four, was it? When they were, yeah, Peter Beagley and John Ebrill, um, yeah, yeah, I can't remember who scored. It's the only time he scored the first Premier League goal of the season, one, two, nil. I think Johnny so, Ebrill, uh, yeah. yeah. So, hopefully, history can repeat itself. Uh, Next, uh, as ever, the stat man uh, excels himself. I just, it's just, uh, no, no, it's just, uh, it's, it's already in my stats pack for next week. But no, it, I, I agree with everything kind of was saying there and the, the rallying call. Let's just make the most of the next three years. Yeah, you know, 60 yeah, games yeah. is not a lot, easily ticked down. Hopefully, there'll be more than that. Easily, no matter, no matter what down. happens on the pitch, it's part of our life, you know. So, going to the football match yeah. and watching Liverpool, good, bad, or indifferent, it's always been part of our existence and it always will be. So, yeah, just enjoy it. Well, I think also as well widening that is, you know, when the pandemic started and people didn't go, what pe- a lot of people are saying is not just the match, it is the the general social yeah. events around the game, isn't it? Even going to and from the game. So it's it's important here to, to remember it's not just the game itself that people will look forward to and have missed it. It's the wider social aspect to it, isn't it really? You know, so um, yeah, I, I'm really looking really looking forward to it, um, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully all of us will be there and I'm sure many of you listening will be there as well. So, hugely exciting moment uh, a week tomorrow, but of course, first up for Everton, before Southampton, is a shit to Old Trafford tomorrow. Uh, We will be there covering the game as usual, so uh, keep posted on the the Echo website uh, for all the best news, uh, analysis, live blogs, etc. and reaction. Uh, with the manager, so uh, keep with us over the weekend for that. Uh, chaps, thank you very much for your company, and thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.